The Tower of Babel The Promise to Abraham The Sons Ishmael and Isaac The Birth of Covenants Every one of these events is an announcement, a declaration of who God is and how He treats His people. As the Word of God has stood the test of time, these records are still a revelation. Well, good morning. Gorgeous morning outside. I hope you enjoyed uh, waking up and coming outside after an extra hour of sleep. You guys should really, really feel good because you're second service, which means you really got a lot of extra sleep. So unless you were here first service for an ABF or serving in Kidman, but uh, nonetheless, welcome. My name is Tony. I'm pastor here at LAFC. And uh, as a church, uh, what we'd like to do is go into scripture to form our worldview. And so we teach out of scripture every week and we love to follow in a particular text. And so we're in a series out of the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, where we are gaining understanding as to the context of the good news of Jesus Christ. If you do not have Genesis and a Genesis understanding, how can you explain why you need a savior? How can you explain that Jesus needed to come and live the life he lived, being born of a virgin, living sinlessly, and then to die on a cross by choice, and then to raise again on the third day. I don't believe you can explain those things unless you have the context that God created mankind in his image, and he created us with the desire and the intent and with the wiring to be in relationship with him. Without that, we would not have any understanding that there is a God who loves you, who desires to be in relationship with you, and therefore is working to reconcile us. And it's through those beginning things that we understand that sin is a great barrier between us and God, but it's a barrier that God has crossed over by the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're going to go into the text right now. Uh, We're going to look at the book of Genesis. So if you do not have a Bible, our ushers are coming down right now. I'd be glad to provide you one. Just put your hand up and they'll offer it. We also utilize a version Bible app, uh, Y-O-U, and you can look that up in your app store and do it. And then you can find under the events tab, LEFC is one of the churches there. Just tap on that and you'll get the scriptures we're using today and some of the outline. So while you're getting there to the book of Genesis, we're going to be in chapter 11, by the way. I just want to talk, just kind of do a real quick overview to contextualize today's text. So we understand that when Adam and Eve chose to sin, that yes, it broke and fractured the relationship between us and God. There was perfect union between us and God prior to that decision. Then after that fall, it created separation, not only between us and God, but it created separation between us and each other. Prior to that, there was wholeness in the relationship between mankind. Now, there is envy, there is greed, there is selfishness, there is pride. And it, and it creates all kinds of issues between us. 
What we discovered last week is that sin had become so front burner in the heart of every man that it said that God said while mentioning that he regrets making mankind, but yet still compelled to save mankind because he loves mankind. He says that we can't let them live beyond 120 years. Sin manifesting in a person's soul for more than 120 years would create cataclysmic, uh, catastrophic uh, results for mankind. And so he limited the lifespan of mankind in chapter six, verse three, and then said, I need to then eliminate the earth and all those who are living and the creatures on the face of the earth and start from a few. Because the sin had become so violent and so destructive that he must. So then he chose, again, because his promises are true. He said in Genesis chapter 3, I am going to fix what Adam and Eve messed up. I am going to restore you. So God's on record of restoring. And so we're getting the story of restoration and redemption. But at the time of Noah, he needed to bring the flood, bring destruction to inhibit sin Save, again, he has to save some because he's promised, I'm going to restore humanity. So he saves Noah and his three sons and their, and their wives and their families. So they're spared and they go beyond. But sin is still crouching and creeping at the door of even Noah and his family. While Noah was seen as righteous and faithful before God, sin was still there. And this was something that he had to deal with as well as his sons. And we'll see going into Genesis chapter 11 that the sin that was still within Noah and his family was again permeating all of society and things were getting pretty rough again because as God had said, every thought of the heart is still inclined to sin. That's found, again, when talking about uh, Noah's coming flood. So God chose at this point, because sin has become rampant and so violent again, that this time he's going to choose a different way to inhibit sin. He's going to choose the strategy of separation. The strategy of separation. And so we're going to see that in Genesis chapter 11. So let me read the first four verses and then we'll continue in reading uh, through verse 9 here in a little bit. So first four verses. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Verse one. Now the whole world had one language and one common speech. The national language for the United States of America is English. We have other languages spoken here, but if we just speak to and about those who use English as their primary language, let me speak to the various dialects that we have in America alone. If you've ever traveled to southern Louisiana and heard somebody who would be an English speaker 
My guess is you will have to ask them to repeat themselves quite often, and you might need an interpreter, somebody who's lived both where you lived and has lived there. Because the common speech among Southern Louisiana, among the Cajun people, is a very different English than what we speak here. It's true. It's also true that the English we speak in Lancaster County is different from the counties surrounding Philadelphia. Those who come from Philadelphia, the way they use their English, the way they speak it with their intent, their values, the way they see culture, when they move just not even 80 miles west into Lancaster County, they discover a completely different culture. One language, yes, but common speech, different. So when it says here that the whole world had one, long, one, one language and then they had one common speech, what it is saying is that yes, one language, but the way they utilize that language is same. We can't say that for our own country. The way English is used throughout this country is not same. We are not one speech, but we are one language. So they had at this time, again, because it started with Noah and his three sons and their wives, that therefore they're all speaking a common language and a common speech. They were culturally one that as they traveled and moved and migrated and they moved from west to east, they came to this place, the plain of Shinar, which would be modern day Iraq. So we, we understand what Iraq looks like. Uh, we've seen the pictures. Some of you probably have even been there if you're a veteran. But here's the point. The people came there with one language, one common speech. So they're culturally same. They're all Lancaster Countyans, okay? That's a way to think about it. They're all from the same region. They're all thinking the same way. The way they would use that language is all same. They show up at this plane and they decide, let's build a city. Let's build a city. And then it says in verse three, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they use brick instead of stone, which is interesting. When you're building a city that they say in verse four is to make a name for yourself, a city that is going to go to the heavens, there's a lot being said in that. And to choose not to use stone, which was abundant, but instead to use brick, which is made with their hands, instead of stone made by God's hands. And they're building a city that will reach to the heavens. And then as a result of that city, they can say, we have a name for ourselves. Now, is the sin that is manifesting here any different from the sin or the appeal to sin that Eve experienced with the serpent? Think about it. What did Eve experience from the serpent? That Satan spoke to her and says, God just simply doesn't want you to eat of that tree because if you do, you will be just like him. And there's the appeal, right? Well, that's so really selfish on God's part. We want to be just like him. Well, that same manifestation, that same fleshly desire in the heart of Adam and Eve is identical to what you see here. 
They know the story of the flood. They know God is judged by the flood. They're only just a few generations after that. So some of, they have clear stories about the flood. They know that God was not happy with humanity. However, if sin is always creeping at their door, that their hearts are always inclined to want to sin, then they're always going to be inclined to want to prove they don't need God. It's no different today. We live our lives, even for those of us that have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and by his spirit, still have that tendency at times to want to show, I can do this, I don't need to petition God for help. So, they're going to build a city to the heavens. And the city is not going to be from stones that God can lay claim to. It's going to be by brick that we can lay claim to. They named this city, the celestial city, Babylon. We know this from ancient Mesopotamian texts, particularly the Enuma Elish number six. I know you've memorized that before. But in the Babylonian text, it speaks of the celestial city of Babylon that they built with their own hands. This celestial city is described as being a city made of brick. And on each brick was the name Marduk the God of humanity. And then the term Babylon in Mesopotamian language means the gate of God. So they built a tower to the heavens. And what would be the incentive of that? A couple things likely, and we're not told completely, obviously, to build a name for themselves, to show by even the name of it that they are on par with God. But to build a tower to the heavens is probably so that God can't wipe them out because they were going to be taller than the waters. And if they're up to the heavens, then they're the, the gate of God like they're there. They can look right at God. So you have this going on. Their motive and their purpose and their vision was to make a name for them. God is being replaced by themselves. If that was their motive and purpose then what's their fear? Look at what their fear is. The end of verse four. If we don't do this, if we don't build a name for ourselves, if we don't build this city by our own hands and make it to the heavens, then the result will be we'll get scattered over the face of the whole earth. So their fear was isolation, separation, and to be scattered to unknown places. Now, I know there's some diehard introverts here in this room, and some of that sounds very appealing. But even given time, isolation, you get enough of it. Their fear was that. Their fear was to be set apart, different, and elsewhere from each other. So, We've got to do something about it. We need to glorify ourselves. We need to esteem ourselves. So let's pump ourselves up and let's prove our strength by defiance with God. Now we get God's perspective. Verse five. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. 
Hmm. So God, who created mankind in his image with similar skills, okay? Keep in mind, we're set apart from the rest of creation. We studied this a few weeks ago. So we have, we're mirrored images of God, but we're not God. So we have some of his abilities, our ability to rule and have dominion over the face of the earth. God gave us that charge, and that's part of God's ability. God gave us the ability to emote. That's some of the things we've seen that God does. There's emotion to God that we see. We also see that God has the ability to have relationship, and he gave us that ability as well. All of those things are there, are mirrored images of God, because God was the, was the master designer and the builder of each human being. That master designer, that master uh, maker and creator of human beings says this, that when those human beings who are made like us to be images of us, if they work together by one common language, one common speech, under one primary purpose, and they do that in full unity, there's nothing impossible for them. You see, powerful unity requires a unified vision and language and an ability to speak. So do you understand what I'm saying here? Nothing is impossible for those who speak with one language, with one common speech or culture, with one common purpose. Nothing is impossible. That's the creator God saying that. That's not just my take on this. God's words are, there is nothing impossible for them if they are working together under one common language, one common purpose, under one common use of speech or culture. So God makes a decision that changes everything going forward. But again, He's staying faithful to what he said in Genesis 3. I will restore that which is broken. I will restore that which is broken, which is why he didn't annihilate all of humanity by the flood. So he's not done that now. So now he still is under that, that faithfulness that he is going to restore humanity. But again, sin is out of control. So he's going to inhibit through not judgment of by water, but he's going to do through, so through separation. So verse eight. So the Lord scatters them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel. Because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So if you remember in verse 4, they decided to build the city to make a name for themselves, to reach to the heavens, made out of brick from their own hands, to defy God. And if they don't do this, their fear was to be scattered. God scatters them. There was something inside of human beings that they knew that if they got to a place with God where God was going to come against them, the next possible way that he would come against them was through a scattering. And their intuitions were correct. 
God scatters them over the face of the earth. And as a result, what you see now is tribes made up of every, in, in, as part of every nation and multiple languages. And each of those languages and each of those tribes create a separation from a whole. I've been studying as part of this perspectives course I'm taking on Monday nights, learning that in single countries, there are multiple tribes with multiple cultures and multiple languages, and they are strange and strange to each other. They don't know each other. Those language barriers create cultural barriers and also hinder their ability to work together. So the effectivity of God's plan to scatter people over the face of the earth and to confuse their languages worked. Trust and partnership are not natural anymore. They're always hindered to some degree. When the world tries to work together on things, it's still a very loosely held unity. We see that in, in some of the major conflicts over the last 150 years. I mean, go back to World War II, where there were, basically the world was in two parts, the Axis and the Allies. The downfall of both was when they could not agree on the plan going forward. The languages and the cultures, therefore the desires and the wants were all different. While the Allies may have won the war, because they couldn't come into agreement for a vision going forward, and a lot of it was based on cultural identities and cultural desires, we went into a series or season of time called the Cold War. Even today, you see it playing out where tribal cultures and languages separate. You see how even in Ukraine, this creates a difference between them and those who are under Putin's leadership. But as alliances are trying to be formed, look how loose they are. There's argument as to the direction for the Ukrainian side. And there's not clear path either for Putin's side. All of this is God-designed because if they could completely unify and they're not under the name of God and Jesus Christ, think what the outcome would be. Who would want Putin to establish a unity across the world? And quite frankly, who wants the West with all the various challenges that we have and the way we've operated? Do we really have a higher plane? In some ways, yes. But if it's not, under the name of Jesus and by his spirit, it's going to implode on itself because it'll be making a name for ourselves. We see here that the city is now called Babel, the Tower of Babel. Now the Babylonians had named it the Gate of God, but from those from afar and in the Hebrew language, it's now shortened to Babel, meaning confusion. Confusion. Jesus even employs this later when he's on the, talking on the Sermon on the Mount and he describes the prayer life of people and particularly the prayer life of religious leaders who love to pray in front of people to impress them with their incredible orations and, and lengthy prayers and the way they prayed that made people feel like, well, I certainly don't know how to pray, but that person does. 
Some of that can even happen in our culture today. And Jesus describes the one who loves to hear themselves pray and pray with great length and pray with great and flattery words. He calls them babbling prayers. Directly coming from the term of confusion. They think this impresses God. And God wants nothing to do with it because they do not even know what they're saying. God knows that by separating the languages and separating the cultures, it inhibits their ability to work together for evil. When evil rises to such a destructive level, God will regularly use this strategy of bringing confusion among its ranks and by isolating them from each other. We shared a story a few weeks ago about how when the nation of Israel was coming into the promised land, God told them not to attack three different people groups that they were gonna pass on their way. And they come into the promised land and then later they discover that those three nations that they passed by, those three nations decide to work together and to come against Israel from the south. Together, those three nations were more powerful and more significant in number than Israel. And they were afraid. So they cried out to God. They fasted and they prayed. And they worshiped. And while they were worshiping, God did something among those three nations that were coming against them. It says that God confused them. And what did they do in their confusion? They began to attack each other. They didn't know who their enemy was. Their cultural separations, while initially gave them, they were able to work past it and agree on a common enemy. But the unification of God on behalf of one created confusion for those who were operating in evil. And as a result, they annihilated themselves and Israel didn't have to do anything. God employed this idea of separation and confusion. It's also true that God warned Israel, if you do not listen to me, if you do not abide by my law, if you do not honor my name, I will separate you and, and scatter you among the nations. Unfortunately, the prophecy of Jeremiah in chapter 9 and chapter 23 and several other chapters where he talks about the scattering came to fruition and the northern kingdom of Israel was scattered to the world. But also prophecies talk about, again, because God told Abraham, you're going to be a blessing to many nations. And then he told David that your throne is going to last forever. So God says, this is going to happen and this is going to be fulfilled. And Zephaniah talks about a regathering because God is going to restore now, in all of these things, there is constant conflict among mankind because as one regathers, it comes at the threat of another. We see it being played out right now in Israel. What's interesting though is that in this, God said that things would happen and become difficult in Israel. And God also said that enemies will always be around you. But it is also true that God said, but you are going to be a blessing. While a stench to the world, you're also going to be a blessing to the world. And it's through them that our Messiah came.
And we're going to discover as this message goes along that in God's vision of restoration and redemption, he's going to undo what happened in Babylon. But before we get there, let me mention one more time where you see how God employs this idea of confusion and separation and isolation to the advantage of the kingdom of God. When Paul was standing before the Sanhedrin in a dangerous situation where he was likely to be taken out and killed, Paul, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, is given the opportunity to speak and says, I'm on trial because of the I believe in the resurrection of the dead. What was in unity as a Sanhedrin that Paul is an enemy of the Jewish people and of faith. Now all of a sudden they were talking completely different visions and they had two different wants and they no longer could go against Paul because they were in argument with each other and Paul walks away. Was that just cleverness by Paul or is God reminding us that when the enemy is using things to the advantage of creating Evil's work, God will thwart by confusion and isolation and separation. So this is what we learn principally from out of this text alone. That confusion and isolation are a cancer to what is possible. Confusion and isolation are a cancer to what is possible. But the inverse is also true. Clarity of one language and one culture, one common speak, working together are a cancer to the impossible. Therefore, making the impossible possible. Jesus prayed for this. Jesus prayed that the separation and confusion and the scattering that had happened from Babel would not thwart the kingdom of God, but that the kingdom of God would actually shine brightly because of unity. So look at this in John chapter 17. It'll be on the screen. Jesus speaking, and this is the night he was betrayed, and this is his prayer for those who are yet to believe that are gonna come after the apostles. He says, my prayer is not just for the apostles alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me and that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This prayer is prayed before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The disciples clearly heard it, or at least John did, that he was able to account for it. And they must be thinking, you are praying an impossible thing, that the world would become one. And the result of that oneness, it will be the very testimony of that oneness that'll point to the one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our testimony to the world is our unity, and it testifies to the unity of the triune God. But there's still this barrier. There's still this barrier of 
Many different tribes, many different languages, and a scattering throughout the whole world. So God put that into place to inhibit sin, and he's saying that now there's gonna be this unity that's gonna be a part of my body. But how is that going to happen when he says that this movement is going to be every tribe, every tongue, every nation? And their unity is going to point to our unity. How in the world is that going to happen? That seems impossible. Now I want to take you to what I find to be one of the most beautiful changes of chapters in the narrative of scripture in Acts chapter 2. Can you turn with me there? Acts chapter 2. And you're about to read the debabilization of the world. Remember, it was God who separated people and scattered people and gave them the separate tongues so that sin could not be accomplished to a powerful degree. And now he wants to do something powerful, but the storyline is not evil, it's restoration. So how is he gonna do this? Starting in verse one. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, so Jesus is resurrected, he's gone back to heaven, but he told the apostles, stay in the city of Jerusalem, I'm going to send your helper the Holy Spirit. So here we go. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all suddenly in one place. I mean, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under, earth, under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So just to pause there. All the Jews that had been scattered over the earth, because again, they were under the judgment of God that they had not honored him through the law and, and giving glory to Yahweh. And so they had been scattered to the nations. But then on these Hebrew holidays, they would regather in Jerusalem. And so this has happened here on the 50th day, the start of a new beginning. And so they're now in Jerusalem from all over the world. And then they hear this sound and they rush towards it. And the crowd came together in bewilderment because, as verse 6 says, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they said, aren't these all, those who are speaking, Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them and in our own native tongues? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. Everywhere, even the most enemy towards Israel were there. And we're drawn there. And God let in all those languages, they were allowed into the knowledge of what God was going to do to change the world. The promises to Abraham, which we'll get into here in a few weeks, are, are being fulfilled, that he was going to be a blessing to the nations. And now, through the movement of, of Jesus Christ sending his Holy Spirit, the curse of Babel 
is being undone in this very moment. Because the only thing that can bring unity to all of the nation's languages and all their cultural barriers is that the Spirit of God himself come on mankind and give them the ability to work together under one common language of the Spirit, under one common culture of the Word of God and heaven, and one purpose mandated by Jesus Christ. That which was broken and separated is now unified. It's amazing what has just happened here. Beautiful. And all these Jewish believers that are, are Jewish followers are now here, hearing it in their own tongue. And guess what they're going to do? They're going to go back to where they're from, carrying the good news that they're about to hear. So they've got all this going on. And so verse 13, so they're trying to figure out, they're feeling awkward that this group of Galileans, which is a very small region in, in Israel. So people knew that they were from Galilee because of their accent and their way of speaking and the way they dressed. Again, not so common a speech, right? Totally different culture, but yet same language. So they know who they were, but they're now hearing them in their languages. So they think, well, if it's not God, it must be alcohol. They must be drunk. Verse 13. Then Peter stands up and, and, and with the 11 and raised his voice and addressed the crowd and said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. We're not drunk. That's the first post-gospel message words ever spoken after the ascension of Christ. We're not drunk. Love it. So then he says, fellow Jews, let me explain. These people are not drunks, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, it was as spoken by the prophet Joel. In these last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me skip to verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what must we do? What shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, all the nations, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Mega church happened. I know some of us feel strongly about not wanting the church to be too big, but let's be careful in our wishes. God desires that none should perish. And that's why he waits for his return. And God so loved the whole world 
that he sent his son Jesus to do the most radical thing possible, to come and die for a people that rebelled against him. And the beautiful thing in this is that in spite of our best efforts to make a name for ourselves, God continues to show mercy and grace and draw a new people to himself, beginning with the Jews and then throughout the entire rest of the world. He is drawing a people that he will call his own. So Jesus prayed for unity, and now he shows how this is going to happen, how the barriers found in Babel are now going to be undone by a single Holy Spirit work in the lives of various hearts, that that the barriers that would separate before no longer are barriers. One of the most beautiful things that I am looking forward to is, you know, last year at this time, we invited this church to sponsor children in Southeast Asia. This isn't just to meet their needs educationally and for food and for clothes, for education. Uh, This is actually, they still live with their parents. This is actually creating a bridge by where we can share the gospel. Our hope was that we would sponsor 50 children and we actually ended up sponsoring 120 children, which has given opportunity for us to plant multiple churches in this last year alone. That which was a barrier before Different tribes, different tongues, different nations are not held back when the Spirit of God's involved. Next week, we will have standing on the stage a pastor and his wife from Southeast Asia being able to share what God has done. They will be able to look at them, we'll be able to hear from them, and they're of a completely different culture from us. But you're gonna find they are us. They are one with us. We can work with them. And together, we can see people come to Jesus in Southeast Asia. How beautiful is this, that what was a barrier because of sin before, now is an opportunity by the power and the redeeming work of the Holy Spirit. So my question to you is this. How do we build the kingdom of God and not another Babel? How do we build the kingdom of God and not another Babel? Well, it begins with the simple gospel that we must believe and trust in Jesus in order to be filled with the Spirit. We're told in Ephesians chapter 1 that when we believe, we're given the Holy Spirit, who marks us as a deposit guaranteeing our future with God. So when we trust in Him and we believe in Him, We're filled with the Holy Spirit and he changes us. And then with those who have also been changed by the Spirit, we can now work together because our mission is one and we can speak with one spirit and one heart. And then number two, we don't go on this movement of seeing the debabilization of the world and we do it on our own. That's how the world is because of sin, is to be isolated and alone. No, we join the great movement of God called the church. We are on mission together. That's why you have made a wise decision to be gathered with one of the churches today here and not choosing to be isolated and alone. God wants to give you the blessing of the mutual encouragement we find by being together and being on mission together so that when we leave after our gathering, that we feel unified in heart and we speak with one heart, one mind, one voice which leads into the next thing, is this isn't about our name. It's proclaiming Jesus' name. 
if you've been investing a lot of your life, the lion's share of your life about building your own name and your own kingdom, can I just invite you to a different path? What would it look like in whatever you're doing in your life to make it all about the name of Jesus? We don't need more names to say, add a boy, add a girl, or way to go. We need more people that are willing to say, you know what, I do everything I do to bring glory to one, Jesus. Which leads to the fourth thing, and it's this. There are many temptations given to like Eve and to Noah and his family, to people even at Babylon, to start building towers together that's about human projects. What if we leveraged our efforts together? All with a heart and desire to build the kingdom of God. By his spirit, we promote him. If we can run from the towers being built to build our own names and run from those towers to then promote the kingdom of God, we're gonna be right where God's at. And when you're right where God's at, he's gonna change you and make you so different. That's why Jesus gave us something that would remind us we need to stay together, and that's the Lord's table. He gave it to us not only to remind us, but he gave it to us to remind us that we are in this together under that one name. The instructions of Paul when talking about the gatherings of the church, you'll find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. His instruction about the gathering of the people when we worship is very clear. It's about finding strength together so that when we go out, we're proclaiming the name of Jesus in unity. But when we take of communion, the Lord's Supper, we are to do so by waiting for each other. As a reminder, this isn't a solo project. This is a church thing. And so we're given instruction to do it together. We're given instruction to be mindful of Christ as we do it together. And we're being reminded that as we're taking this, we're remembering Jesus and who he was and all that he did. And then we're remembering that it's only by the blood of Christ that we even have the hope of restoration. So as we go and prepare ourselves to this moment, the communion table, the Lord's Supper, is, is an invitation to all those who have said, Jesus, I confess my sins. I repent of those sins. And I call you and refer to you and direct my life to you as Lord and Savior. If you have done that, you are welcome to partake with us. But I now invite all of you who are eligible to take of this communion together to prepare your hearts as we sing the song, There is a Fountain. Let's meditate, reflect as we prepare our hearts for communion.
1 Corinthians, Paul gave instruction to wait upon each other, which we have now done. So we're about to partake of this. If you do not, did not grab a cup um, to weigh in, just put your hand up and our ushers are coming forward right now and provide for those who failed to grab that on the way in. So, because we want to include you if you are a child of God. So at the table, the night he was betrayed, Jesus held up the bread he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. So for when we take of this body, we are understanding that he went to great lengths to remain faithful to God, sinless, so that he could be the perfect lamb. So we receive this bread, remembering what he had done. Let's take together. Sometime later at the table, he held up the cup that was filled with the fruit of the vine. And he said, this is my blood, which will be of a new covenant. We now know that that new covenant is a once and for all sacrifice. And when we drink of this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death 
until he comes again. This is where we are unified together. That by taking of this cup, we are proclaiming his death is what is necessary for restoration. His death is what we will trust in that when we go before God, that his blood covers our sins. So by faith together as one, along with other peoples across the world that have partaken in this supper, we take now grateful in proclaiming that name. So Jesus, we have just taken of this cup and we know that this morning across the globe from east to west, as the sun rose, many worshiped today. Many partook of this table today. And as that sun gradually began to cover the earth, we got to Israel and there were believers that have trusted in, in, in Jesus as being Yeshua, the Messiah. And they worshiped him this morning there. There were Palestinians who know that Jesus is the chosen one. And they worship there. We know that there are people in Lebanon and Turkey and in Ukraine and other parts of Europe that know that Jesus is the one and they partook today. We join them in that chorus and we anxiously await those across our nation as the sun rises and then goes into the Pacific that as your name is held up in high honor this day, that we can with one voice by one spirit, with one common cause, declare that we believe that God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. And by the name of Jesus, we have hope of restoration to be in the family of God. We declare this with our lips, and we sing this now in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand, please? We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And He's coming back again. We believe so let our faith be more than enough greater than the songs we sing and in our weakness and
privileged to be past the curse of Babel. We're on this side of the cross, where all those barriers that could keep us from being able to reach the world and see one place under one voice and one family declaring the name of Jesus, regardless of what culture we speak of, that is now all possible. It's no longer impossible because of the unity that comes by the Spirit. We get the opportunity as what, was, what happened in Acts 2, it says the immediate response is that, that many repented and believed and confessed their sins and then were baptized and then they received the Holy Spirit as part of their belief. We are gonna be baptizing several people today after the service at our baptistry, which is on this side. We would welcome you to go there to be a part of that and to hear their story. Additionally, if you'd like to talk with someone, we'll have people in the encounter room that would be glad to introduce you to Jesus. Perhaps you wanna go and pray with them about Israel and what God might be wanting to do to, to change the hearts of people in that region of the world. We just invite you that if you want a place of prayer, go there, uh, we'd welcome that. I will also be up front and we'd be glad to talk with you. But go under the spirit of one God, the spirit of one name, and the Holy Spirit who speaks on their behalf because he gives us the power to proclaim the name that can change everybody's hearts, the name of Jesus. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>